You're listening to Campus Review Radio. I mean, my kind of next idea was to talk about what you feel that you can't teach or say, but then maybe, like you said, that you can't really talk about such sort of stuff. Or... Well, let me, let me give maybe one example that's only semi-controversial. Mm. So, with the you know, hashtag MeToo movement, mm-hmm. there's, there's a view that... Um, there's a view that we live in a rape culture and that the burden is on young men to learn how not to do anything sexually coercive or inappropriate. And that if you make any suggestions to young women about just in the interest of prudence, here's how to avoid situations that could lead to um, sexual coercion or date rape or trouble. That's viewed as very unforeseen. That's viewed as victim blaming. Well, it's funny you say that because we have I don't, we had the example of that just yesterday of the woman killed in Melbourne. I don't know if that's what just your, your thought, but the police brought out a young woman was killed in Melbourne yesterday or the day before, and the police put out something to that effect that be careful, don't go out, whatever. And Twitter was in uproar about that. Yeah, and and I think. So it's hard to teach that, and the way that I do it is I talk about, well, I, I have a daughter who's you know, recently graduated college, and just here's the kind of prudential advice I gave to her as a parent. What advice would you guys, you students, give to your teenage daughters? Like set aside changing all of society and set aside overturning sexism just at a purely practical level. What advice would you give? Or would you say, all advice is invalid. I'm not going to tell my daughters anything about avoiding date rape or not drinking too much or whatever. If you frame it that way, most students can see the absurdity of saying, well, we have to overthrow patriarchy first and only then could you give advice to them. But, so that's just one example, but there's dozens of other topics and issues like that where um, I mean, me and a lot of my colleagues are pretty inhibited about um, what we teach and how we teach it. Yeah. So what do you see then, this whole chilling effect that you can and can't say, what do you feel will be the learning outcomes or the, the future for academia if this is the... If this is a true thing that's happening. I think it has terrible effects on um, student learning. I mean, for example, I teach human sexuality because I think it's absolutely like human relationships are a huge source of both uh, well being and pleasure and you know, pain and heartbreak, even apart from people's careers. And I think, you know, if I can give my students tools to have better relationships and marriages and better ways of understanding their partner, that's a huge win, just in terms of their life quality going forward. If I have to handicap how I do that, if I have to not give half of the useful advice and insights that I could give, it really harms them. I think it inhibits research. It means we can't do good uh, 
research on lots of socially important topics, and we can't challenge a lot of the um, the dominant theories for what causes certain kinds of social problems, like prejudice or crime or um, you know terrorism or whatever. And I think third, it threatens funding for academia. I mean, a lot of conservatives and centrists in America are so pissed off with universities being leftist indoctrination camps that they basically want to defund universities completely. They're like, why should my taxpayer dollars be indoctrinating my kids into political values that are absolutely contrary to everything I stand for? Does it work the other way as well, though? You mentioned the left quite a lot. Does it work the other way, like especially in your topic? I can't imagine conservatives want to talk too much about sex in universities. I don't think so, but... No? Um, I mean, there are conservative approaches to sexuality. It, it tends to be... Um, well, it's an interesting issue. Like, okay, would... Would more young conservatives go into sex research if sex research wasn't so leftist? I think I think more of them would. Um, they might study things like, um, you know, successful Christian marriages and how they operate and how the church supports certain kinds of, of intimacy and sexuality and commitment, and um, they would do very different kinds of studies on abortion yeah. or premarital sexuality. But then they might totally ignore gender identities, which is a huge yeah. part, whether you believe it or not, it's a huge part of uh, sexual yeah. studies, I would imagine. It, it is now, but you know, you could imagine... Um, you could imagine a kind of sex research that, that pays as much attention to like the that 80% of Americans who are Christian as it does to the 0.1% who are, who are trans. Yeah. But that would be considered a pretty radical uh, change compared to kind of standard leftist sex research. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, then, let's, I kind of just kind of a two-point question. So what in your idea then is free speech and is there anything that we can't discuss in academia or society or is there anything we shouldn't be allowed to? Um, I think free speech is just the way that society helps overcome its own self-deceptions and its own taboos and biases and um, unspeakable topics. So I think there should be very few limits on free speech. With some key exceptions. I think the key exceptions are actually quite informative because they kind of help recalibrate us in terms of, oh, what, what's really bad to share publicly. So, designs for nuclear weapons okay. I think should not be covered by free speech. Like you should not be able to share. Put it out there. You should not be able to share um, genetic engineering information about how to create. Um, airborne bioweapons yeah. or engineered pandemics. 
Um, these are two huge existential threats to civilizations. You know, nuclear winter and pandemics. Those are big deals. That's sad to see that I don't want those to happen. Yeah. Likewise, I think you could make an argument that research on artificial intelligence perhaps should be very tightly regulated. I think that's another possible existential threat. Mm. And then I think there's a whole domain of state secrets where um, in, in many cases I think it's okay for governments to be quite discreet about what they tell the public about certain kinds of military or covert operations. Okay. And everybody knows that, but it doesn't mention it. So the key thing there with like the nuclear bomb designs or the is it makes clear that you know, exempting those from free speech, they're really clear reasons of, of like massive physical danger that motivate why you shouldn't allow free speech about this. By contrast, <coughs> doing something like saying well, I think there might be evolved sex differences and this or that trait. Some people get extremely upset about that, but compared to sharing the nuclear bomb designs online, it's, it's relatively less important yeah. as a threat to you know, our species. Yeah. So that's the way I like to recalibrate. So really, within bar that, that's the yeah. everything else on the table, yes. academically and societally. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I think even within the covert ops, like I'm a huge supporter of Edward Snowden, and yeah. I think um, he revealed a lot of information about secret government spy programs. But I think they were so deeply unconstitutional that he actually did a good thing. Yeah exercising his free speech rights about those, even mm. though they were classified. Well, that kind of jumps around to, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead, kind of, you mentioned um, some of uh, J.S. Mill, mm -hmm. and that kind of goes to what I was going to put to you, is that, you know, we will, society decide really what is acceptable and what is not. Mm -hmm. um, and I think along the lines of paraphrasing, you know, you can kind of say whatever you want as long as it doesn't harm others, and society will kind of decide that, right? So, if PC uh, speech or thought is what is the prevailing theory. Surely that's that's okay in a liberal sense. The question of harm is tricky. I mean, the nuclear bomb issue is like nuclear winter is clear harm. I think saying something like one ethnic group differs a little bit from another ethnic group on some trait, here's the evidence. You know, it, might, it might hurt some people's feelings, but new research tends to, new, new research on human behavior tends to hurt some people's feelings because they have a model of the world that needs to be updated, which is painful. Yeah. Um, but if the prevailing, if enough people think it's not acceptable to talk about it, then what do you think? In some ways, in some ways. I think those people have to suck it up and deal with it. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that brings me to, I mean, you mentioned that in the writing, I'm kind of going to uh, paraphrase you, but you said that perhaps we need to have a thicker skin, right? Yeah. Some people. Um, so does that work both ways then? Do, 
people on the Aspie spectrum maybe need to have a thicker skin and realise that there are things that we can, can and can't talk about? I think self-censorship is really different from having a thick skin in terms of tolerating other people's speech. So, a thick skin in terms of not being easily offended means um, you, you cultivate the habit of thinking, <clears throat> how can I evaluate these ideas on our own merits without attributing bad intent to whoever is saying them? How can I maybe even trace out some positive implications of their view if it's true, rather than always jump straight to, oh, but this and this and this horrible effect would happen if people believe that. I'm not addressing that now, Sebastian, but I'll be watching your behavior. I think that's quite different from saying, oh, you Aspies have to just learn to internalize all the social norms that you find bizarre and illogical and Incoherent, um, because uh, if you don't, we will punish you. Yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, let's move on from the neurodiversity. I guess you mentioned also that we need to be a bit more sensitive to cultural diversity and cultural difference. Um, you cite your time in the UK and here in Australia. Did you run into some trouble when you were here? Is there any kind of examples again of times when it's an outsider to our culture or Australian culture? Well, I mean, the big sensitivity point in Australia that you don't find in, Aus in, in America or Britain is issues about um, indigenous Australians, right? And things that you have to be very... <coughs> cautious about saying in that regard. So, um, just as one example, um, I would get into discussions with people about kind of just even the evolutionary history of when Australia was colonized by the indigenous people. It's like, was it 40,000 years ago? Was it 60,000 years ago? And a lot of the sort of lefty Australian academics would even get very uncomfortable about just the factual details of human evolution and colonizing the world and all of that because it kind of highlighted the, um, the time depth of how long indigenous people have been kind of genetically distinct from other ethnic groups. So even if he never said, well, oh, that might have been time enough for certain traits to evolve somewhat differently, they kind of traced out those implications automatically and thought, oh, wow, why are you raising this? Where are you going with this? And I wasn't going anywhere, I was just interested in like, so it's one of those taboo subjects again you, yeah. you encounter. <clears throat> and then do any any like from your time here, any colleagues you had then, are they kind of like, if you keep in touch with them, are they saying that they feel like they're free speech here? Like, has it been trampled upon at all or any free thought or what they can and can't teach? I, I only know a few Australian academics, um, mostly in evolutionary psychology or or biology. And yeah, they all complain that there's certain things they have to be quite careful about teaching, and mostly it has to do with um, 
Yeah. Genetic influences on behavior and, and sex differences. And, and, and uh, oh, another big one is IQ and intelligence differences, even, even within in race or no, gender just, or just even like the fact that you know within let's say white America. IQ predicts outcomes a lot more strongly than class background. And that's kind of the Even if you don't talk about sex or race. So with this issue of cultural, kind of you mentioned in your second piece about cultural diversity that we kind of have to be like, uh, we have to consider the Aspies sort of spectrum and consider people from coming here and doing research from different backgrounds. Um, is it, can we, because obviously they could have repercussions, is there a balance we can strike where we do have to consider them but then we also maybe, is there some teaching we can say, well this is how we do things here or you just feel like we should just be culturally sensitive? No, I think it would be great if universities had, let's say, new student or new faculty training, particularly for foreign students, it said, look, honestly, here are the taboos in Australia. Here are the sensitive points. Here's why they're taboos. Here's how to handle it. That would be great. But I think it, it's unconscionable if you invite a lot of foreign students to come here. And you know, Australia is a nation of immigrants. And there's a lot of people coming here from China and India and all over who don't understand Australian culture. Yeah. And if Australia is not uh, radically honest about, but better or worse, there are taboos. Then it's setting those students up for, for failure and misery. And and. They might feel quite inhibited about saying anything that they think is um, even slightly controversial. So it'll have a massive chilling effect. So that, that term as well, chilling effect, because it's not outright saying you cannot do this, you cannot do that. Is there a chance that these, this chilling effect can be is perceived as opposed to real? Yeah, and I think that is, that's the power of the chilling effect, is it only takes a few public examples of people being punished for saying certain things to inhibit the speech of hundreds or thousands of other people. Mm -hmm. right? All witness, you know, a person being burned at the stake. Um, and of course, burning the person at the stake for saying something bad, the point is not to punish them. It's to create a public spectacle that chills everyone else's speech. And the uncertainty does a lot of the work. The people not quite knowing where is the boundary means they will you know, err on the side of caution. And, um, Self-censor really strongly about So this issue probably doesn't really seem like it's going to go away. Um, how do we strike a balance going forward in academia with keeping free thought, but also not causing harm to others going forward? I think the main way to fix the problem is to just let go 
of the whole model that there's a trade-off between free speech and the well-being and safety of people. Mm-hmm. Like that model is the problem. Um, the notion that hearing ideas that you don't like is similar to physical harm or violence, that idea is the problem. Okay. Um, I think it's bullshit. It's the way that all repressive regimes throughout history have always clamped down on, on free thought. It's, it's, it, they never say that idea is taboo. They always say, oh, how dare you? That, that hurts people's feelings. That offends our sense of the sacred. And well, that, that you know, undermines the progress towards the great communist utopia or whatever it is. Um, we have to draw a really clear line between actual physical damage and the verbal expression of ideas. And and the only the, the only gray areas to me are, are these information hazards where what you're sharing is directly about you know nuclear bomb design or the bioweapon or you know, the covert ops because those could directly lead to actual physical harm on massive scale. There you go. I think I've been looking loads. I've been here for about one hour. Appreciate it. You're listening to Campus Review Radio.